If you would open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses tonight of Romans chapter 12. But we're also going to be looking at uh, the earlier sections of Romans to to really see what what God is speaking uh, to his church uh, in Romans chapter 12. I've titled this message, uh, God's Heart for Our Church. And so, if you would, would you pray with me as we get started? Father, in the name of Jesus, we do come before you, Lord, tonight. We ask that you would come and you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we ask that you would give us uh, understanding, Lord, of, of your scripture. Lord, we've come to, to hear from you, to understand your heart for your church. Lord, would you come and, and speak to us? Would you set me aside and allow your words to come? And, and would you uh, do what, what you do and, and through your power accomplish your will? Would you minister to hearts that need to be ministered to? Those that have come into this, to, to your house tonight, wanting to hear from you. And so, Lord, may, may this be that message. May, may it be that thing that they're looking for because, because of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, all the pastors went up into the mountains. And uh, we had the privilege of going up into Breckenridge uh, to uh, a rental home up there that uh, someone lets us use. And, and we were up there seeking God. And, and the purpose of our getaway uh, this, uh, this year was uh, to talk about the church. To talk about uh, what is the church and, and to really look in to examine in Scripture what church is to what, what is the, a pastor's role and what does it look like to, to, uh, to be a body of believers. And so tonight, I believe that God just kind of put this on my heart to, to bring to you tonight. You're the body you're the church, right? We are the body of Christ. Each one of us is a member of the body. Now, when I, when I say the word church, what comes to mind? Is it, is it this building? Is it, is it a, a physical location? As you drive through the streets of Colorado Springs, there's churches all over the place. Uh, as, I, as I come here from my house, I, I pass a, a few churches along the way. And is that the church? Well, the Bible's clear, even if sometimes we're not. Um, the church is you. The church is me. The church is us. It's the body of believers in Jesus Christ. It is, it is the Greek word synagogue, which means all together assembled. That's the church. It's also the other Greek word ecclesia, which means to be called out from, to be called out ones. That means the church... The, Rocky Mountain Calvary it is not a building, but it's a group of people that gather together to worship God, to be encouraged and equipped. 
and edified, all for the purpose of being called out into the world to touch and reach the lost, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. You see, all week long, Rocky Mountain Calvary, you and I are spread out through the whole city of Colorado Springs. And we take our faith wherever we go, right? We, we walk into doctor's offices and we, we walk the streets and the highways and we're taking our faith into those areas of our city. And we've been saved from this world, yet we've been called out to go back into the world to be the light of Jesus Christ in the darkness. Amen? So now that we know who the church is, we're the church. I want to I I ask another question. What is our function? What is our purpose? What is our role as a church? I, I want to I examine that tonight, explore that a bit tonight so that we can maybe understand our purpose why you come and sit in these chairs? Why you take in the word of God each week? What is the purpose of it all? Well, first, we need to, we need to, be, uh, to be as individuals uh, of, God's, of God's church. We need to be. Second, we, we need to function as God's people, as God's body. And third, We need to love. We need to love. And so those are the things we're going to be looking at together. So if you would, look look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith." Now, Paul here is pleading with us. He's pleading with the the Roman church. He says, I urge you, I beseech you, brothers. Now, whenever there's a therefore, we need to know what the therefore is there for, right? I mean, if if anything in Calvary, we've, we've learned this very well. If, if there's a therefore, so he says, I beseech you, therefore, what, now what is the therefore, therefore? So, so Paul is, what is Paul referring to here? Paul is referring to, he, he's referring to the underlying message of Romans chapter 1 through 11. That he has been teaching the church in Rome. Now Paul has taught them a bunch of different things through those chapters, but there is this overall theme that he's been teaching them. And, and this, this is what it is. 
we're all the same sinners. But God has saved us by his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. Now let me say it again. We are all the same sinners. But God has saved us by his grace through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, let's look at that therefore together. Can you turn back with me to Romans chapter 3? Keep your finger in Romans chapter 12 and turn with me back to Romans chapter 3. Now if you would look at verse 22, the end part of verse 22, it says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it says at the end of 24, for there is no difference. Other translations say, for there is no distinction. What is he trying to say? He says, for there is no difference, no distinction, for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. So, so what he's saying is this. None of us are better than the other. None of us are better than the other. Church, we really need to understand this because if we're going to be a body of believers that work together, the church that God wants to use to reach the world, to touch lives, he wants, to un- he wants us to understand that none of us are better than the other. We're all sinners, saved by grace. You see, in order for us to understand our purpose as a church, in order for us to be used by God, we first must have a correct perspective of ourselves. He's God and I'm not. None of us are better than the other, that we all are the same sinners saved by grace. I like to put it this way I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find food. I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find the food, and that's Jesus. We're all the same. And it's important for us to see that in order to see our place in the body of Christ. Now, now let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 12. So in light of that, Paul pleads with us. He's urging us, remember? He's saying, I beseech you, I, I urge you, since you are all sinners and God has saved you by his son Jesus Christ, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So when Paul talks about our bodies being living sacrifices, again, he is pointing back to something that he's already taught them. And we're going to look at it together. It's something that he shared with them in Romans chapter 6. So turn back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, he's, he's telling them what not to do with their bodies. He's now challenging them to do something else with their body in chapter 12. But in chapter 6, this is what it says, it says in verse 12. Therefore, do not, sin, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. 
And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God by being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So what is he say, what, what's he, what, what he's saying is this. Don't give your body over to sinfulness. Stop it. Stop doing it. Don't use your members of your body, your eyes, your hands, your mind, your body. Don't give it over to sin anymore. Stop doing it. Don't use them for sinful things. But instead, give your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So what does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean to be a a living sacrifice? Well, let's go back to chapter 12. It It means this, that we must daily come to the altar. We should come to the altar and die. What did Jesus say in Matthew 16, 24? He said, if anyone would co- desires to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. A Christian's offering of his life as a living sacrifice is therefore spiritual service of worship as we lay our lives down on the altar. It means worship. In the Old Testament priesthood, the, the priest would, would make a drink offering. And when he would go into the temple as an act of worship, he would make this mixture uh, of a drink offering and he would pour it out on the altar as, as worship to God, which is what we should be doing with our lives. To lay our lives on the altar in total submission. But that means, guys, we have to die. Our wants, our desires have to die. That's telling God, here is my life. Here it is. I lay it down. It's yours. I give it to you freely. Do what you want with me. This is the attitude that we need to have as, as, as the church. In order for God to use us and for God to do incredible things through us in our city and in our families and in, and in wherever God takes us, we have to have this kind of attitude, this kind of posture, this kind of perspective. Worship. Now think about this. Our bodies are the vehicle of expression of who we are, right? Our bodies show people who we are. So when we lay down our lives willingly, we become that living sacrifice, an act of worship. So so I want you to see something. Choosing to lay down your life as a living sacrifice produces something. It produces humility, which is an incredible characteristic of Jesus, which we need more of. Humility. As that act of of submission 
generates humility in our lives. But you know what the problem is? Is that we're living, right? We're living sacrifices. And so we can crawl right off the altar in, if we choose to. We can offer it one moment and then, and then t- take ourselves off the next. So it's a daily choice that we must place ourselves there. We have to choose to die daily. And we need to remind ourselves, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. As Paul, as John the the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. That's worship through submission. Church, we need more of that in our lives. We need more of that in the church. So what else do we, do we need to be as a church? Well, let's look on in verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we are told not to, to conform, right, to this world. Or like other translations say, not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. So what is that pattern? What is he talking, the pattern of this world that Paul is talking about that is in opposition to us being living sacrifices? Well, he talks about it in Romans chapter 1. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Paul gives us an incredible description of what it means to be conformed to this world. And look at verse 20 of of chapter 1. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse." Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So this is what a life conformed to the world looks like. This is what it looks like. You live to fulfill the lusts of your heart. No matter what God says, you're on the throne. It's it's your lust that you're going to fulfill. You exchange the truth of God, the word of God, the truth, the promises of God. You exchange the truth of God for your own truth. And you worship God's stuff rather than God himself. 
you worship the creation rather than the creator. Now, let me help you put this in perspective because I think it's important. We can worship the creation rather than the creator very easily as, as believers. For example, food. How many of you love food? Oh, I, don't get me started. I, I love food. Food, it, it, it tastes so good. And when I sit down at Five Guys Burgers, and I sit there with a, a, a double cheeseburger, and, and after I have eaten that, that burger, it, it's almost close to heaven. It really is. With all the, not, all the stuff that I get, the extra stuff I get to put on it, it's just like I, I've, I told my wife uh, not too long ago, this is the best burger I've ever had. I mean, it was that good. I don't know what was wrong with me that day, but it was that good. And when I got done with the burger, I didn't say, oh, I didn't begin to worship the burger. But it should move me to worship the God who made the burger taste so good. Oh God, you're so good to me. God, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't have to make food have taste, but you did. Thank you. And in response to that burger, I should thank God for his incredible love for me. That he would allow me to delight in it. Instead of saying, oh, that was such a good burger. Oh, the burger. You see the difference? We can do this with people. We can do this with our spouse. We can do this with our kids. We can worship the creature rather than the creator. We can worship the thing that's created rather than the creator instead of saying, God, you made these things so that I can enjoy. Oh, you're such a good God. And we begin to give God glory in all the things that we do. And I'm preaching to myself right now because I need to add more of this in my life. Church, we, we, can't, we can do this with people, jobs, cars, football teams, worship. We can worship the creature, creation, rather than the creator. So Paul is commanding us not to be conformed to this world. Church, our goal is not to, to look like the world, but, but for the world to see something different in us. The more true and sanctified we become for him, the more we are set apart for the world to see what we are to to show them. And that is Christ in us. So next part of of, of verse 2, it says this. It says, "And and be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The, the Greek word here is uh, transformed. It, it, transformed is metamorpho, which literally means to change into another form, to be transformed, to, to change into from one form to another form. 
It's where we get the word metamorphosis in the English language used to describe a change, uh, a form like when a, uh, a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. There is a complete transformation from the inside out, not from the outside in. Now notice what it, it says here. It says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Years ago, I, I thought this meant that I needed to renew my mind. That I needed to go through this rigorous process of saying, God, oh, these things are in my head and i got to get those out. And so I, I have to work so hard to try to get all this stuff out of my head. God, I need to think purely. I need to, I need to, I need to have these pure thoughts. And, and, and what I realized is it, it has nothing to do with me. I can't change me. Only God can change me. It is by the renewing of my mind that I'm transformed. As I simply fill my mind and my heart with God's word, as I meditate upon it, as I set my mind on relationship with him, he, through the power of his spirit, transforms me. That's what I've experienced in my life. You see, I don't want you to get it wrong. I don't want you to hear religion and a bunch of things you got to do. I want you to be in Jesus. I want you to be in the Word of God. I just want you to remain and just hang out with Him and hold on to Him and seek Him and listen to Him. And then what He does is transform you. That's what He does. That's what He's good at. You see, it's God and His transforming work that changes us, not you. He's the one that brings the, the transformation. All you have to do is remain close to him, to stay connected to his word. It's like that old worship song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? It's as we fix our eyes on him, as we, as we put our eyes toward him, that everything else begins to fade away. We begin to be transformed. So we've, understand, we've understood so far what we need to be, what we need to have that, that, that right perspective of ourselves, that we're sinners, that we're all the same, that we need to be living sacrifices, not conformed, but transformed. Now let's read on in verse 4 through 6. This is our function as a body, uh, as, a, as a body of believers. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. We all have spiritual gifts that God's given us. Paul is saying, man, you have, you, you have all different gifts in, in the body. Look at verse 6 again. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given you. 
So, so you guys are gifted. Spiritually gifted. Each and every one of you is what God is saying. Did you know that there is a place for every one of you in the body of Christ? I don't know if you came in here and you came in here alone. And you, every week, come in here alone and you walk out of here alone. And you talk to no one and you don't know anyone. I'm telling you tonight, that is not God's purpose for you in this body. God has a purpose for your life in this body, a gift that he's given you to use inside this body and outside in the world to be glory, to bring glory to his name. There is a place reserved for you and your spiritual gift in this body of Christ, in this family, in this church. Now that's incredibly encouraging. If you're not encouraged tonight, I don't, know if, I don't know what will. That should encourage you. That should just get you jazzed inside. Like, that's awesome. God's given you gifts. The question is, what, it, what, what is the gift? It's encouraging that God is using his church, you and I, to reach the lost and dying world. We also need to understand that we need each other, okay? Now, in the United States, we don't like to do life together. I don't know what, I don't know what's, what it is with America, but I used to, I, I've lived in Mexico for six years, and life, we do life together. Like, you're hanging out together, you're doing life together. I come back here, and, and we don't like to hang out together. We just go into our garage. We don't want to talk to anybody. Kind of, text my friend, dink, Right? We, we, we don't want to get, you know, too close. I mean, look at, you, you, we're spread out throughout this whole place. I mean, that is the picture. But, but I want you to see, we are needed in each other's lives. And that we cannot, we cannot be a church alone. That we cannot be the complete body of Christ without everyone fulfilling their function. So if you've come in here and you've been just studying the Bible and you just come in here and you, and you leave, that's not good enough. God wants more from you. God wants you to be a part. He wants you to get dirty, get your hands dirty serving and being a part of his, his, his body. That means you're needed. I'm needed? That feels good. Yeah, you're needed. You're necessary. Here, in this body, in, in this life, to bring life to, to this body, you're needed. Now, Chicago, how many of you have ever been to Chicago? Chicago has some really bad ice storms uh, when, in the wintertime. And every year, the city loses trees, especially uh, those that stand alone. You see, as the ice begins to build on its branches, the more weight it has to carry. And then if it's alone, oftentimes the weight is too much for it to bear and and the branches break. Yet when they stand together, when they're intertwined, the trees make it through the winter. 
because they're able to lean on each other and freeze together with one another in order to save each other from the storm. And the same is true of the church. We need each other. Now, the problem, of course, in this area is that not everyone knows what their spiritual gifts are. And and so I think it's good for us to begin to look at those spiritual gifts tonight just for a little bit and and just kind of whet your your, your taste bud for, for the spiritual gifts that are there. So, so let's keep reading on in, in verse 6. It says, If prophecy, let us prophesy in the portion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, there is seven motivational gifts right here in this list. Seven motivational gifts. And I believe that God has gifted each one of you. Now, I want you to hear this. God has gifted each one of you with at least one of these gifts. Maybe more. And you're going, really? You know, when... when, uh, when when Billy was uh, up here and he was saying, you know, I, I just feel like God wanted, uh, he, he's, he's like, I think God's just holding up his arms and saying, I want to give you something tonight. Just come and receive it from the Lord. I, I, I believe that for some of you, it's your spiritual gift. That he wants you to see your spiritual gift for what it really is. So here it is. He, he wants us to be clean. He wants to use us. He wants us to be living sacrifices, right? But, but he wants us to do something with it. He wants us to be ready to be used by him to, be, to touch other people's lives. How? Well, through these spiritual gifts. The first one is this. We're going to look at them. The gift of prophecy. This gift is defined... Because some of you are like, what is prophecy? That's confusing. Well, it, this is, is defined as declaring the truth. Declaring God's word. God has given some men and some women in the church the supernatural ability to take the word of God and cause it to shine. That's the gift of prophecy. It's not the teacher It's declaring the truth. The next gift in the list is this, the gift of ministry. It's also known as the gift of service. The gift of service is defined as practicing the truth, putting it into practice. It is the men and women that are are supernaturally gifted to serve, to serve and to serve again because they see something that needs to be done and they just go do it. And God has given you the ability to see something and say, oh, I know how to get that done. And, and you just go over there and you, you do it. And it's, and it's a huge blessing in, in the body of Christ. Not only inside the church building, but outside the church building into 
our city, our world. Now, the next gift is teaching. This gift is defined as explaining the truth. You're a good explainer. You, you're good at teaching. You're, you're gifted, you're gifted at, at being able to teach the Bible in a way that can be understood in its meaning and also understand how to apply it. That's the gift of teaching. Next is the gift of exhortation. The gift is defined as applying the truth. It's, it's, the, it's those that, are God, God, that God has given the gift of uh, encouragement, challenge. Sometimes the encouragement comes through challenge to to help them move forward, to get out of where they're going and push them forward. Come on, you can do it. I know you can. That's the exhortation gift. Oftentimes coaches have the gift of exhortation. The next gift is the gift of giving. This gift is, is defined as supporting the truth. Some have the spiritual ability to meet the needs of others by giving, by providing a way to make things happen. You love to give, and you, it just brings joy to your heart to be able to give. You're giving gifts all the time. You, you're like, oh, I got I to get a gift for that person. I need to bless that person. That's the gift of giving. And God wants to use it in his body. He wants to use it for his glory. The next gift is leading. This gift is defined as organizing the truth. Organizing the truth. This person has the supernatural ability to administrate and to organize, which I do not have, but my wife does. It's a beautiful gift. It's blessed me for many years. The next gift is mercy. This gift is defined by ministering the truth. They have the God-given ability to have extreme compassion for people. They hurt with those that hurt. They mourn with those that mourn. They walk through difficulty with those that walk through difficulty. And it is a joy for them. That's the gift of mercy. Beautiful gifts. Amen? Now, now I want you to understand this. Every one of you has one of these gifts. Some of you are going, no, I don't know. No, really. God says it right here. He's gifted you with these gifts. So now use them. So the question is, is what gift do you have? And are you going to receive that gift and believe you have it and then begin to exercise it? Use it in the body of Christ. Now, God has given these gifts to us so that the church, the body of believers, can grow in maturity. So as, so as believers, we need to begin to exercise, to work out those gifts, 
to begin to use them and let God use them through the power of his spirit. So, so whatever gift or gifts you have, you need to be led by the spirit. You need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit so that the, those gifts may be used to edify and build up the body of Christ. That's the purpose. It's incredible. It's incredible to think about this, what, what God could do if we just tapped in to the gifts that he's given us and, and, and using them in, in each other's life. The Lord makes it abundantly clear, though, that he's building his church. He's the one building his church. I'm not building it. I'm just a part. I'm just, I'm just a, a hand or, or a toe or whatever it is. I'm, but, but we're all a part of the body. So the question is, are you fulfilling your function? Are you just going, coming in and out? Now, some of you need to mature, okay, because you're young in the Lord, and some of you need to grow in your gift so that you can be used effectively by the Lord. But some of you have been coming to church all your life, and God isn't using you at all. So it's time to, to, to get out of your seat and, and become a part of the body and become active in, in exercising in those things. Ask God, God, what gift do I have? Is it exhortation, Lord? Is it, is it service? Is it mercy? Is it teaching, Lord? What, 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 is it that I, what is it that you want me to be for you? What, what can I do, Lord? What, what, how can I use the gift that you've given me? I don't want to uh, bury my gift. Lord, I want to use it. So let's begin to find our place in the body. Amen? It's awesome. And lastly is this. Um, let love, verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. All that we do must be motivated out of love. Guys, we can be the coolest, gifted, spiritual person, but without love, we are nothing. If love can't motivate us, then we're doing it all wrong. But if we put ourselves on the altar and we die every day and we say, God, you live in me, guess what's going to come out? Love. Because God is love. God is love, so love's going to pour out of your life. He's gonna, it's going to come out wherever you are. The more you put in, the more it's going to come out. But our love must be real. You know what I'm talking about? Our love must be real. It can't be fake. We can't come in here and, I love Jesus. And inside, we're just a mess. And we're like, get out of my way and I can't handle you. But... We put on love. No, that's fake. That's hypocrisy. That's what he's saying. Don't let love be hypocritical. Let love be without hypocrisy. Love can't be fake. 
Everyone knows when love is fake. So let's love for real. So ask God for sincere love for others. Really, if you don't know love very well and love doesn't come out of your life very easily, ask him for it. Ask him and say, God, give me sincere love for others. Begin to pray that God would give you love for your neighbors. Really. And and you might be shocked what God does. Now, there's a list uh, of gifts here in Romans chapter 12, and it's followed up with love. And in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a list of gifts, and it's followed with the challenge of love as well. So love has to remain. Love has to be our motivator. Love has to be primary. So what is God saying to us in this? In order for our gifts to be used, in order for us to fulfill our purpose as a church, love must be first. Amen? And lastly, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Hate what is evil and hold on to what is good. In preparation for communion, and as Billy comes out, um, and as we conclude, let me conclude that. Let me, let me share this with you. I hope that tonight that you've heard that God really loves you because he's got some really special things in store for your life to be used by him. He's given you gifts but you need to come. You need to come broken. You need to come submitted. You need to come uh, with nothing attached, saying, God, I'm yours. I come to your altar and I put, I, I put myself down. God, in that posture, Lord, would you use me? Would you take my life and would you allow me to be used and functionable in, in your body so that we can reach this world for your name because the lost are waiting to be found. And they need us. And they need our gifts. And they need to hear and see Christ through you and through me. And that all comes through, through what we just talked about as God leads us through love. And and pours out his love upon us. So what's God's heart for his church? Well, to be living sacrifices. To function together. Together as a body. And to love. To love. As we take communion, let me encourage you to come and get communion tonight. Take it to your seat and begin to ask God these questions. Am I submitted to you? Am I, have I died, Lord? Are you living in me or am I living?
then begin to allow God's love to fill, fill up in you. If you've had a long week, just come and rest in the, in the presence of God, knowing that you're loved, that he loves you, even if, if you've messed up, that his grace is sufficient, that his grace is enough. Come and receive that and sit in the presence of God and receive that tonight. But know that you're gifted. Receive that gift tonight. Whatever it is, receive it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how good you are to us. You love us. Lord, would you come and would you, uh, would you prepare our hearts to, to receive your body, your blood, Lord, through communion. Lord, we come with broken lives, with broken hearts. But Lord, uh, through your son, we're restored. And so, Lord, may we look to your cup tonight, look to the bread tonight for restoration. Would you prepare us for what you've called us to as a body? Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.